This time on Cult Following, the One True Podcast. So, like my uh, esteemed uh, colleague is not the right word, but it's the one I have in my brain right nemesis. now. Nemesis. My esteemed <laughs> nemesis. <laughs> yes. All right, let's start over, though. Um, similarly to my esteemed nemesis. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, Trevor here. What exactly is a story? Are stories fanciful tales told to gullible children, ready to believe anything their parents tell them? Are they blockbuster hits projected onto huge screens, laced with explosions, advertising, and gratuitous nudity in an attempt to get a passive public to consume? Or are stories maybe something more, something fundamental in how we interact with each other and what makes us human. If you're a fellow storyteller, then this podcast might just be for you. Cult Following the One True Game is a storytelling party card game where cultists take ideas from cards, weave them together into a cult pitch, and attempt to recruit their friends. Those friends then get to ask questions to figure out which cult they want to join. Today on the podcast, we have three very special guests fellow developers of indie storytelling party card games. We play a couple of rounds of cult following, but you definitely want to check out our extended card talk segment, where the five of us give you an inside look into how our storytelling games were made. And as always, just to make it perfectly clear, every cult you're about to hear on this podcast is make-believe. We don't actually believe these things, and we don't think you should either. Please don't go out and do anything our cultists are about to tell you to do no matter how convincing they might be. And remember, parents, it's easiest to indoctrinate children between the ages of three and six, when you can straight up tell them there's a dragon in their closet and they believe you without questioning a thing you say. All right, here we go. Time for another round of cult following. Friends, I come to you with a message of hope. I want to let you know that the Earth Mother watches over all of us. And she is like our own mother, caring, kind, gentle. She wants to know that we're loved. She wants to give us gifts. Our own mother, when we were young, was there to help bake milk and cookies for us. And the answer to all of today's crises are simple. Global warming, certainly it's scary. But so is an oven. And really, the Earth Mother is here to help bake the greatest, grandest cookies that will ever be made in the oven known as planet Earth. <laughs> Won't you join me as we prepare for the greatest feast that humanity has ever known? Um, that was lovely. <laughs> I, Positive take on climate yes. change. You get cookies mm. out of it. I um, More like preheating. Yeah. Are we the cookies? More like. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, if you were a cookie, what kind would you be? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, chocolate chip. <gasps> Good one. No, wait, a brownie. Does that count? <laughs> no. <laughs> wait, do you want to be chocolate chip or brownie? Brownie. Next week on the podcast, we investigate the question, are brownies cookies? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> um, all right. Well, our family 
has um, a main tenant, and and that is that happiness is mandatory. There is no room for negativity or fear or any malice of any kind. Hmm. We operate under the assumption that everyone should be happy. And we go the extra mile in order to ensure that for our family members. And um, the way we do that is that we listen in on everyone's conversations. We, When we suspect that someone is not obeying the tenant of mandatory happiness, we kind of check in. You might not know that we're checking in, but we're, we're there. We're checking in and trying to find out what elements of your life we can improve so that you then fit uh, our mantra. And of course, there are people who are beyond help. And in those instances, our commune is uh, at the base of a super volcano that <laughs> um, easily resolves anyone's discomfort in this plane and we can help them go to the next. But for those who sit on this plane with us, happiness is mandatory and we really hope to help you find it. You know, the super volcano is just nature's way of making the oven warmer just a little sooner. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Does anyone have a question for either of us? I have a question. Uh, what, What is a moral offense in your cult? You know... Mother doesn't like swearing mm. in in the house or or running. Mm. Uh, uh, mother would like us to see live in a world where we run a lot less and but actually have a chance to play. So we should build a lot more playgrounds. All mm. this corporate office structure. So what about like a light jog? A light jog. I mean, sometimes like she Earth Mother will drop you off at soccer practice, oh, good. and that oh. is acceptable. But okay. but no running in the in the halls or in the streets or where anything might cause you to come to harm. And if you're mm. a good child, the milk and cookies will be waiting for you. Hmm. Our only guideline is that, like I said before, uh, happiness is mandatory. So uh, by consequence, any expressions of uh, sadness, anger, um, jealousy are um, writable offenses. Mm-hmm. We'll have to put that on your record and put you for monitoring and um, as a contestant for the supervolcano. Um, mm. But it ultimately makes for the best and most positive community. Now, if I'm so happy that I'm angry, that that cool? If I see a really cute dog, I'm like, you're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, like, he's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, Why are you so cute? Is that, is that cool? Is that kosher in your cult? It doesn't really compute. Mm. I don't, like, if you're happy, then you're happy. And if you're angry, then you're angry. I don't understand. Would you say if you're happy and you know it, you should? <laughs> uh, I, I have some concerns about this. I mean, many people are raised in households where they're controlled and told what to do. And, and this feeling that your happiness is mandatory. You're always there to please other people. I mean, mom shouldn't be like that. Mom should love us. Mom should provide us with warmth, the kind of warmth that comes from cookies. <laughs> or presumably cooking cookies. 
Well, I mean, the smell of, of baking cookies is, is, is a delight, a childhood delight. Mm, and will be a delight into the coming, coming years before the cookies are done. That's true. I guess, are we going to make it through the cooking to get the cookies? <laughs> are we going to make it to the end of the, where the cookies do, are? Do you remember when your mom said, it's okay, the cookies are coming. The more you ask questions, the longer it's going to take. These are these will be resolved by mother later. Just be patient. <laughs> See, our our family isn't about um, rewards that are sort of waiting for you in a future. It's about being happy now, and it's mm. about finding mm. uh, love and community now. And we aren't gonna. We're we're not uh, setting you up with false expectations. It's. Mm. Either you're happy and you clap your hands, or you're in the super volcano. Like it's <laughs> and simple. I mean, you both made some great points. I love volcanoes. I love cookies. It's tough, but I feel like as much as I I, I love uh, Mother Earth's warm embrace, I feel like I need a bit more guidance in my life. I need some 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 structure. Mm-hmm. So I think I have. I'll, I will go for the, the Happiness Society. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Welcome to our family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your cult seems kind of like a waiting cult, Trevor. Yeah. Just, let's just wait around for things to get warmer. <laughs> it's, it's. I'm hungry now. It's the kind of you need to learn some some temperance and patience, and these are qualities that will will be good for you when you're finally eating your cookie. Mm. All right. Next question. All right. Uh, so, uh, Happiness Society, uh, I believe. Sure. Uh, cookie Club over here. Set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's start with you, Happiness Society. You've recently gained a convert from the Cookie Club. Why did they join you? For exactly the reason I set forth earlier, the Cookie Club, while equally as um, enamored by the healing uh, properties of extreme heat. Um, uh, it is a cult about, or sorry, a community, <laughs> about um, waiting for a reward that will come to you in a non-determined amount of time. Hmm. We're setting forth that our only requirement and our only goal is to make you happy now. There's mm. no, we provide immediate gratification and occasionally immediate melting, but usually <laughs> immediate gratification. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, same question to you, Cookie Club. There's been some back and forth <laughs> between the, the, the societies, the, the organizations present here today. Uh, why did the Happiness Society member defect, I guess? Well, have, have you ever gone to a, like a national park as a child, mm. and you really didn't want to be there for a reason. Like, say, Yellowstone mm. with its super volcano, and <laughs> and you 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 cry, and it's like I don't want to be here. And really, really, all that child needs is a nice warm hug, mm. mother's hug. Mm. And so the the terror of both being afraid of being thrown into a super volcano mm-hmm. and the greater oppressive force of having to be happy all the time is just too much. Mm. And so, honestly, people have come to us desiring mother's warm embrace, warm embrace, close, so close to the oven. It's getting sweltering hot. 
It'll be time to eat soon. And again, we're not the cookies. Well, right? Mother's mother's been a bit coy about that. She mm. smiles and winks and like, "Oh, you're my cookie, dear." <laughs> and and so we're we're waiting to be pleasantly surprised. Hmm, that sounds lovely. But there's definitely going to be actual real cookies at the end of this. Oh yes. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh yes, there will be actual cookies. Mother's promised. Mm. Not brownies. No. <laughs> Do the cookies have nuts? No, mm. no nuts. Mm. Oh, that's good. What? Yeah. I'm not not a nut cookie fan. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I avoid no. allergies. Mother mm. is taking care of all of the allergies, uh, allergy issues. Mm -hmm. There's well, even a gluten-free option. Oh, I, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're being made in Iceland. Mm. <laughs> you had any splinter cookie cults, the macadamia nut cookie cults? Those are really good. <laughs> well, I mean, the Girl Guides are still out there peddling propaganda about cookies when really, <laughs> really cookies should not be an act of corporatism, trying to earn money for a, a militaristic establishment. Mm. It should be about a mother's love. Mm. You know, that reminds me that cookies actually currently exist. I could go get a cookie <laughs> right now. Oh, that's a good downstairs. question. Yeah. But think of the people of the world who can't get cookies. Mm. I mean, not everyone can afford a cookie. When in fact, in just a few short years, cookies will be literally sprouting from the ground. Think oh, about all the Girl Scouts you'll put out of business. That's true. That's true. They'll be out of business, but everyone will get cookies, even the Girl Scouts. Hmm. So there's no more need to go door to door. No more need to be running in the streets. Hmm. That seems kind of like a zero-sum situation for the Girl Scouts, I gotta <laughs> say. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, if it's a net neutral, then, then everything's going to be okay. Hmm. I'm, I'm sold. The, the cookie neutral cult. Yes. The cookie neutral. <laughs> Yeah. None of us are mother's favorites. She loves us all. Oh, that's so sweet. Hi. Typically, they say you're all my favorite, but that's a way of phrasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's my favorite? None, None of you. you. <laughs> all right. Time to award a point. Yeah. Cookies. All right. Now we have a tiebreaker. Mm. Uh, Tom, why didn't you ask the tiebreaker question? I'm doomed now, Tom. <laughs> Tom judging me. Well, we'll just see what happens here. What I would like to know is what would be the most ironic way for the other cult to fail? Hmm. Yes, the most, I suppose, the most ironic way for the cookie cult to fail would be, um, I don't know how to do this without being a climate change denier, and I really <laughs> don't. Pivot to cookies, pivot to cookies. <laughs> Think of the cookies, yes. They all get burnt. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you turn the heat up, the oven up too hot. That's true. The cookies. Crunchy on the They're outside really bad. Cookies are really bad. What Salmonella if poisoning. Finally, you'd spend all this time waiting and waiting for this cookie that you've been promised. And you take a bite and it's dry and brittle and the chocolate chips have been expired. And mm. the, <laughs> it's... It's just not what you expected, and that's that's the downfall of promising something so rich and decadent mm -hmm. and a mother's love, promising it and then never receiving it. Is that mm. what you're saying? That that <laughs> am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> that could fuck a person up. <laughs> Overcooked cookies. It's really hard to get them just the right amount. You look at them in the oven and. 
you know, they're like, oh, just a little more, just a little more, and you it's pull true. them out. You forget that they keep cooking after they're yeah. out of the oven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just I like mean, all of us. The same <laughs> goes... <laughs> The same goes really for a mother's love. You're like, oh, this is something I want until you have way too much of it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, mom, you're smothering me. I. You see, I, this This is my point. If you say that happiness is mandatory, that's the smothering. That's when you're putting on too much pressure on someone to be happy inside. When really what I fear is going to happen to your cult is that you spend so much time embracing happiness on the outside when really deep down inside all of your members have just been fearing about their imminent departure into the supervolcano. No, it's not pressure, though. It's not a pressure to be happy. It's a mandate to be happy. (laughs) It's not that there's another option. It's just that you're happy, and then you live a happy life, and you live one now. I think the most ironic way for your cult to fail is if your members actually just go get some therapy (laughs) <laughs> and then and then they realize, no, I don't need anyone like this. I just wanted to go call a mom. That's all I needed to do. It was really simple. Th- uh, therapy is not exclusive. Like you, ca- it's not that. Do you have Do you have therapists who like say, well, I know you feel this way, but really, happiness is mandatory. So let's work <laughs> on these pills that you need to take. No, 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 no. I, I, the The process of therapy and bettering oneself is not. Uh, an admission of uh, of uh, feeling certain ways. You're more than welcome to go and talk about your issues, but ultimately, deep down, and that improves your happiness. We understand that, and we're not against that. Hmm. Take one pill before dinner time to avoid being thrown into Therapy the supervolcano. Therapy and medication is not necessarily <laughs> always the same thing, and we're not opposed to medication, but I don't want you to the paint us as these pill pushers that are forcing happiness. You know what works better than pills is the threat of a super volcano. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, like, I like the simplicity here. It's like, be happy or be in a super volcano. It's really... You know, there's no waiting. There's no, I don't have to do anything. I'm just either happy or L- dead. Life is so complicated. Yeah. Let's simplify it a this little bit. This is the binary choice that we have desired in the 21st century. It absolutely has to be this way or that way. Mm. If I wanted to wait for happiness, I'd become a Christian. I don't know if that joke. I don't know if that joke's okay. You can decide later. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> I feel like if people were unhappy, they would welcome the volcano. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, it seems like that's the core tenant, right? That if they are unhappy, the the volcano is a understand warm then that they are not following the tenets of the family mm. and the super volcano is the only solution. Mm. But it's almost like it's not a punishment. It's no. like if you can't be happy and you're sad, well, maybe the volcano will take care of it's it. It's almost like exactly. an exclusive club. Like mm. They're just having a little party down there. You all yeah. understand perfectly. Mm. I think happiness is much like cookies. You can be happy with one cookie you could be even happier with two cookies. The volcano cult could be happy, uh, but still work to improve themselves. Are you trying to steal cookies off the cooling rack? They'll be there. (laughs) They'll be there for you. I think, Tom, it's time for you to make a choice. So I choose to give this to the happiness cult because I want to be happy right now. Welcome to the family. All right, you have one last task, and that is to explain what happened to my group. Why were they wrong? What happened to these people? They 
Unbeknownst to themselves, were making brownies the whole time. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that when the last rainfall ever comes, that's Mother Nature crying one last time. <laughs> you disappointed your mother. Again. <laughs> okay, round one done. Hooray! Yay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I was thinking we could actually transition into card talk, um, mm. which is our segment where we actually talk about game design. But today is special because uh, we actually have with us uh, some special guests from out of town. Um, uh, Adi and Liz and Emma are all creators of creative storytelling party card games. And so I wanted to actually take a moment to let you each introduce yourselves introduce your, your your game and let us know what it's all about. Okay. Um, so uh, Liz and I, I'm a D. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Very good at this. Um, we made a game called Someone Has Died that is an improvisational storytelling game that is set at a will arbitration. So you have one person who plays an estate keeper, a lawyer, and they set up for you who died how they died, and what was left behind in their estate. And everyone else gets a hand of cards that they use to create characters who, over the course of um, several uh, legal-themed rounds, um, are trying to convince the estate keeper that they should get the inheritance of this dead person. And it's never that it's their spouse or their uh, blood relative. They're literally people who got their mail once. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're dermatologists. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw their obituary in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, professional nemeses, mm-hmm. uh, people who were bullied by the deceased. So mm-hmm. it's all uh, odd contestants mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, the inheritance, but it makes for a pretty silly, super short form uh, character explorative uh, party game. We call it a baby RPG. Mm, yeah, yeah. For, just for babies. <laughs> oh, but but I played it. My baby? <laughs> I'm a baby. Only if you want to be. Okay. And Everyone is someone's baby. Yeah. Mm. That's what mother would say. <laughs> My name is Emma. Oh, first of all, uh, Someone Has Died is amazing and popular and you should totally check it out. Yes, everyone loves it. So I just want to Put that out there. I know with the games, it's like it's like you just say nice things about your games, but then other people can just wax poetic about. Oh this. yeah, right. It's That's so, so much fun. It's I so love yeah, talking about, about other people's, other people's, people's games. Everyone loves it. Uh, yeah. So my game is, and then we died. It's a cooperative storytelling game where we play as ghosts trying to figure out how we died together, so we can pass on to the other side. The game is made up of cards with uh, non-linear word fragments on them, so at all sorts of crazy angles. Cards are double-sided. Flip them over at any time. And you start with a card on the table and some letters. No words yet. Anyone can make a word. So using the letters and the words evolving over time, you're building a story together and very light touches, but one of the 
most exciting design innovations that came after lots of development, I feel like sometimes the simplest games take the most work to design, was a pointing mechanic. So you make a word and then you point to someone else and immediately throw them under the bus <laughs> with the word that you have made. So people get worried. They're like, oh, I don't want to make gecko or laundry. I don't know how to start a story. It's like, you don't have to deal with that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Using the words as just a very light prompt over time, these fantastic stories evolve, and I'm sure you've seen this all seen this in your games as well. Just the it's different every time, mm-hmm. you know. For you have the same cards, the same things come up, the same words sometimes come up, but uh, in and then we died. Sometimes we're in space, or we're part of the mashed potato society or we're in an archaeological dig and a mining cart is hurtling towards us. Uh, We're in ancient times. It's just so fantastic with just a little bit of prompting how creative people can be. And I think a lot of times people get worried, right? uh, interested to hear if you've experienced this as well. People sit down. They're like, I'm not a good storyteller. <laughs> you just see I'm not fear creative. in their eyes. Yeah. yeah, and then you're like, you can do it. And seeing people kind of open up with our games, I think, is a very beautiful thing. So this is actually one of the reasons I wanted to bring everyone together here is just to, I mean, all of us have built games that have this emergent storytelling. Mm. You start with this scaffolding. You're You're given enough to run with. And then the game goes in a direction that you don't necessarily expect it to go. And I wanted to take a little bit of time just to talk about that. I mean, it's a lot of, like, we've had this situation, too, where people will come up to our table. They'll look at the game. They'll expect it to be something. Oh, I've seen this before. It's where it's on cards. Mm. Or it's something. And they'll, they'll just say, well, I know what this is. And then they sit down and they have that experience of playing and then all of a sudden, it's like, I didn't expect it to go in this direction. Uh, I, I, This came from me. This didn't come from the cards in front yeah. of me. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, um, I think like you said, well, people will see the format of our games because they all generally follow the same formula of mm. prompts on cards mm. or at least like, I guess you're like, ours at least have like... For someone who's died in cult following, there's the judging mechanic, which which yours doesn't necessarily have. But mm. I think there is. I, I I think it still comes from the same kind of formula. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I think there are a lot of games taking that formula and changing it and adding new stuff. And I there are just so many out there that are providing different experiences for players. I I think that's part of what surprises people that. They expect to sit down and play it, play a game similar to something they've played before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you can give them a kind of experience that they haven't had before, like that really is special to them. Yeah. And I think it's sorry, but mm-hmm. when you do, when you can show people like, hey, you're funny, you're you're do you're really funny. Good mm-hmm. job. Uh, I think that is good for people, too. Mm hmm. Oh, that's my favorite experience. I, I like to, I tell it all the time because like um, it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. But a lot of the people, especially the shyer people, the ones who are usually in the back of their group, they don't really talk up. They, they're the ones who say like, oh, I'm not really great at storytelling. I don't know if I can do this. At least the way, and then we died as frames, you can say as much or as little as you want. So you can say like a few words, but the friction of the word and then what's happened before, like something pops out. Uh, And I think with all your games as well, like something just comes out, they blurt it out and everyone laughs. And I think for a lot of these people, 
they may never have had that experience before or rarely had that experience. You know, there's a class clown who's like uh, making people laugh all the time. But making people laugh is such a amazing feeling triggering this spontaneous joy and for people who don't have that experience it's just like it's magical you know and just to be able to give that experience to people is an amazing thing Uh, I would also like to say my thesis and part of the reason for making the game and then we died is everyone is a storyteller I'm not even gonna say I believe everyone is a storyteller it's a fact you come home from school, you talk to your mom's like, what happened today? It's like, oh, we we had a test and so I wasn't ready for it, it really sucked. Or it's like, we went to the zoo today, we had a really fun time, I saw a giraffe. Those are stories. They're not facts you're relating, you're picking and choosing the things that you say. And when someone says, I'm not a storyteller, it's like, you're lying, you are a storyteller. And being able to unlock that for people is, is delightful for people who lose that sometimes. And I think all of our games kind of stray from reality enough that you don't need to worry about logic or think making things making sense or you can just say things. Yeah. And that's the best way of being creative. Like every creative exercise out there is like just do, like don't think, just do. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have to worry about those like the structure of reality, it makes it a lot easier to be funny and creative. There's that aspect where uh, it does allow people to sort of come out of their shells. Mm. It, it, it's also in these games, failing is fun. And in mm. fact, winning the game and losing the game is not really the point. You're mm. there as a as a as a group to tell stories to one another, to make each other laugh out of the the randomness that you happen to pluck out of the air. So mm. I've I've been I there was not something that I expected when I started working on cult following that I thought, oh well we'll we'll just find the people who are big storytellers, big role players, basically extroverts mm. that were the like the people looking for that laugh. And that's not, I mean, they enjoy playing the game, absolutely, certainly. But the, the people who are the masters, the people who do come along, and they don't may not even know it, are these, these storytelling introverts. They will have a moment, it will have a, an excuse for just a few minutes to break out of a shell, to say something ridiculous, and then put it back in the box. Mm-hmm. It's gone afterwards, so. On that, it's always fun when you get a couple and, and one of them says, oh, you'll really like this game, you're good at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you make them both sit down and play. And the other one gets into it and is often outshines the first, the other person. Mm. There's an assumption of who our best storytellers are that's yeah. not yeah. necessarily true at all. Mm. There's also this this concept that I mean I've talked to to all of you and there's this concept of for a game like each of ours that there is the the game itself which sits on the outer layer of the onion. And there is this wealth of complexity that sits behind it. You think it's this, this relatively simple thing. I'll just, I'll just put words on cards and publish it and throw it mm. up on Kickstarter and everyone will love it and it's great. And I mean, from our experience, the amount of work and whittling, uh, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but I mean, we are published cards are perhaps 12% of all the other ideas and the good ideas that have flown through that haven't survived that testing process. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about what insights you might have about what ideas 
you thought would work did not? What are some of the complexities in producing these kinds of games that people don't really get? Yeah, um, I think for someone who's died, um, it was a little bit of like when we were first starting out with it, it was a little bit okay, like let's think of the weirdest, strangest stuff we could come up with and mm. write it down and it'll be funny, it'll be great. Then we got to a certain point with it, we're like, okay, these are, we are setting up a scenario where people are creating characters who are ultimately like interacting and interjecting with one another. So we want to provide them with prompts that will interplay with one another well, not in a way that is maybe super obvious or that uh, will uh, come up every time you play, but it then became, okay, how can we pepper in a couple of ideas that will interplay really well together. And some of that happened by coincidence where we did take those like strange ideas and then after a couple playthroughs saw some funny ways that people were putting them together and were like, oh, cool, like we found a pair here or like a match here. And then some of that was like people are coming up with really funny stories for this stuffed raccoon card that's in the deck. How can we... Uh, Especially uh, we have an objections mechanic where we have a stack of cards that players can earn for good storytelling and then use to interject into other people's stories and force them to kind of incorporate new elements. So one of those cards is that you hit a raccoon on the road and just kept driving. And that on its own is like kind of funny, makes you laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes up with the stuffed raccoon, out there somewhere, <laughs> it creates this extra layer of uh, maybe the person is emotionally attached to their raccoon, and now hearing that another person has run over a raccoon. Or makes, is it the same raccoon? Is it the There's, same raccoon? Yeah. There's lots of stuff that comes up like that. So um, figuring out the right balance of how to make cards interplay with each other, but in a way that is... I don't want to say like not obvious, but like, cause like it's not two cards that like, this is how you play those two cards. Yeah. It's two cards that have a lot of. They'll have slight overlap. So mm. it, it'll, it'll be a weird Venn diagram of like some aspects of the card will overlap. So I'm sure when we were finalizing our deck, we, we have a spreadsheet somewhere where we just <laughs> assigned like, labels to the different kinds of cards so it'll be like this one okay this one's about animals this one's about food this one's about nature this one is does this and and going through and seeing that like there were overlaps in those categories but not so much so that it was overwhelming people yeah so like we have supernatural cards but like we don't want to we don't want an overwhelming amount of like aliens and spooky things but like we want that in there right so this is actually one of the things that uh, that that I was really amused by when we actually started talking about this design process is how many spreadsheets yes. are in the back end <laughs> yeah. of working on actual yeah. cards. I mean, I have a, a website. We have like 8,000 statistical data points that helped us craft and, and build these ideas that happen to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this process where we were trying to find, uh, we didn't explicitly say we want these things to necessarily go together, we let it, again, during that testing process, be emergent. We let people say, pick ideas here that go well with others. And we just ground it like flour and, mm. and kept going through and saying, uh, we would throw ideas in that we thought, this is hilarious. This is so crazy. People will love it. 
and in that grinding process they were like stones they would they would get knocked out they were they were not good matches for those combinations so uh and i know emma you've talked about uh breaking down english linguistics and deciphering the english language and pulling it apart and this is like I mean, when you think about it a little bit, it's like, okay, that's necessary. But I don't think people recognize how much of this this work goes into producing games like this. For, for some games that shall rename, remain nameless, there's a lot of pressure put on to the individual cards. So there's... People look at uh, words on cards games, right? Look at your game, look at those other games you had mentioned, like, oh, this is I've played this before, I know what this game is like. And for those games, they're relying on the cards to do the work. So you play the card, maybe a combination, but for the most part, I've played those games with a random player, right? And the random player wins because the stuff on the cards is funny. You know, you don't rely on the person to do it. In these storytelling games, you're putting a lot of the weight on the person and the group to make things interesting and fun. And there's a lot of stuff that goes in there. There's there's psychology that goes into there. There's subtle movements. There's facial expressions. There's the simplest games. And I think that, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, I think our games are all very simple, elegant, approachable. People get into them. It doesn't take a lot of work for them to figure out how to play these games. The simplest ones often require the most development and the most work to, like you said, to hone those edges down, to, to grind the flower. Uh, I, I went through a lot of iterations with my game. I had the original framework and I wanted to make sure it was the best it could be. So I, I added stuff, I added a fear mechanic where there's there's the death part of it. So it's like you're gaining fear and you're flipping over your cards and they have pictures on them and you're trading things with people. Uh, I made different settings for my game. So at one point you were on the banks of the river Styx and in your pockets you had lint and uh, coins. So someone had that and you were trying to trade and look at their stuff so you could get that coin to barter your way down the the river. Uh, And there was all these, at one point your kids uh, in a cabin and you're possessed by the ghost. There's all these layers that I went through as competitive at one point just to put all those things in front of people and see how they reacted to them. And from, again, that's half and half the observation and the playtesting and then the data and the spreadsheets. Because like you said, I took a bunch of words. I used a software program to break them down and find the most frequent ones to make it easier to make words. But I think that when you have good games that people enjoy and are successful, there is a lot of development that goes into that. There is one question I actually wanted to talk about. This might get cut, Mm. but I wanted to talk about the stress of trying to put out a not safe for work deck. Ooh, yeah. Mm. (laughs) And we've talked, uh, you know, I've talked about this in the past and it's like people want it, but they don't know what they want. And Mm. it's so hard. (laughs) I feel like the, I mean, because... Because there is the not safe for work deck that is just like <laughs> just filth vile. on cards. Like it, it, you can do that, and people will like it and respond to They'll it. Buy it. They'll, that's mm. I mean, or, hey, that's nice. But, sure. Right. And if that's what they want, that's fine. Like, yeah. it's more what did we want to do with it at, as designers, and we we had a very specific tone we wanted to go for. Mm. 
Yeah, we very much wanted. We we didn't want the filth for filth's sake approach mm. to a not safe for work. We wanted um, to sort of uh, elevate it in terms of its mature content, but we didn't. It was a lot of work making sure that we were leaving as little holes for abuse in it as possible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, uh, well, if I could, for an example, and you, you might need to, you might want to cut this. I think we had one card where it was, it might have been an objection where it was like, you accidentally s- sent me a nude photo once. Like you meant to send it to someone and instead you sent it to this person. And I was thinking about that idea and I was like, Someone is going to turn it and then use that nude photo against that person. And that's a big no-no in my book. Mm. So we had, I, I remember we tweaked it a little bit. So I think it was that you, you like, you accidentally called them during sex. Yeah. Mm. Which right. is a little, it, it leaves, yeah. This, this, mm. this metagaming where you're trying to envision what to include and realizing, okay, how are people going to be using this at a table? Is this going to be, like independent of the game is this going to be a negative experience for someone out there right. yeah. and you yeah. really got to worry about stuff like that you you can't control the way people are going to play your game but you can do a lot of forward work to yeah. kind of anticipate how people will take dif- different ideas it was interesting just thinking about kind of the the boundaries that Trevor and I somehow kind of just knew were this is not where we're going to go and that is not what we're going to go and this yeah. topic is even though this is an adult deck and it's like people go gross and wherever this is not what we're going to do. Now, that being said, I I sent an email uh, after the Kickstarter to a D that was basically, we're two white cis guys. Mm. And can you take a Don't look at this? And, <laughs> <laughs> and can you take a look at this for us and let us know what we're missing? And... Um, that that was there was like yes this is obvious how did we miss this uh there was a group like um i had never thought about this yes you're right and then there was like that sort of core of cards where it's like but i don't want to take this out i think this is so funny and then like i'm literally having to go away and like like there are cards in a deck like that where you have to go away and think like I have to sleep on this. I need to think. I need to go for a walk to think <laughs> yeah. about one card and figure out if it's if it's suitable for it. But I mean, we we had this problem. There, there was actually hours spent uh, over the course of weeks talking about your email, and going through every everything and. I mean, I su- I really appreciated that you guys not only thought of me and Liz also, but um, that uh, you guys went out of your way to do that because part of the problem is uh, people not thinking about Mm -hmm. how people with different life experiences and different uh, roles in society will uh, respond to certain things. And so it was really big of you guys to come and outsource um, that (laughs) sort of thing. (laughs) And I I don't, uh, forgive me, I don't remember exactly uh, all the things I said, but I do remember commenting on a couple things where this is not my area of expertise either in life, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I know this amount of information. I You can look this up here and here. I'm not 100% sure it's not really my decision to make. Mm. Pass it back off. Yeah. Um, and then I think you can feel uh, when people are putting something together where they're, they're 
doing it uh, kind of with the with the best intentions and a, a, a good heart. So mm-hmm. all the things that we try and put in um, there behind that is we're nice people. We care about mm-hmm. people. We don't want to offend people. If something slips in there that does happen to offend you, we really didn't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, but you also did the work. Feel, yeah, you, you also did the work the of asking someone else who it isn't you because yeah. there are plenty yeah. of people who like put things out well, and they I say... Well, I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they put things What's out and it's like, you? oh, I didn't mean to offend you. Like, mm. whatever. But like, did you ask one other person that it wasn't <laughs> like you? I remember playtesting a game where they had some card that I just found very distasteful. And it wasn't even like a dirty game. There was just some card where I was like, oh, this kind of feels gross to me. So I just put, said to the creator, like, hey, I really don't like this card. And he said, like, oh, I've played it with tons of people who don't have a problem with it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm telling you, me personally, I don't like it. You Mm -hmm. can just say like, oh, okay, thank you for your opinion, and then move on. Mm -hmm. The the other thing, too, that it took us a while to understand, we actually had made a not safe for work deck where we put in all the gross things that one would assume would go into a deck. Mm. And the thing we found out very quickly in our own playtesting, live playtesting, we thought it was fine. And I was like, okay, that's funnier than this, da-da-da-da-da. It's not good storytelling. Yeah. It's exactly. not. I mean, uh, you, you can put in body parts and like, okay, well, so what? Like, I don't care. It's, we get it. Your cult is about sex. <laughs> <laughs> you can Let's... do that just as easily with the regular deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, people turn it's our way, base way deck filthy all the time. Yeah. Which is precisely what we did. We said, okay, you know what? All these timid forest creatures and uh, milk and cookies. Fine. You know what? You can sexualize whatever you want. It's your group. You take it in the direction that you feel comfortable with. We went with the, uh, the question cards and asked suggestive but not explicit questions and that's mm-hmm. how we 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 happen to let people take it in that direction uh without actually kind of dragging them by the gonads to get there so, yeah. <laughs> it was literally two years from the idea of a not safe for work deck to actually figuring out how to do it so Which we thought was... of the game and the expansions and of, oh of course you've got to have not safe for work expansion and it would be mm-hmm. like this it would be all body parts and so on there we were yeah. it. <laughs> see ours was a lot more incidental where we were we were brainstorming ideas for the base deck and we would come up with a couple where it's like that's not quite appropriate for like the the tone we're going for for the base deck so we would just set them aside and say jokingly to each other, like, oh, we'll save it for the dirty deck. <laughs> nice. And then we were like, oh, I guess we could do that. We could make a full one. Uh, I'm curious, though, because, Emma, you haven't done a dirty version of, of And Then We Died. would be hilarious. <laughs> no, don't. But, don't do it. I'm curious, though. How could you do that? That's a good question. We'll brainstorm that after. All right. But <laughs> just I all the fragments are enus. <laughs> <laughs> Owner, mm. what's it gonna be? Yeah. Um, do people take it in that direction ever? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, and like I wanted to say about the whole thing is with these types of games, it's about the designer's intentionality, and not your intentionality is like what is your intentionality? Like let people do whatever you know. It, it comes from not just who you are as a designer, but who you are as a person. And what kind of space experiences you want to embody. Like if I go to someone's house or if I see people, if I bring people into my space, if I'm playing this with family or kids or all these things. And for me, you know, it's like not just don't intentionally be harmful, but intentionally 
do as little harm as possible. And it's like, mm-hmm. we're, we're human, you know, we're just like the stuff we're talking about there. We like talking about sex and drugs and we talked about pushing boundaries you know and having explosive experiences we say something we don't know what's going to come out and we want to inspire and embody those kinds of things but i love this idea of uh framing your structure putting building your structure in such a way that you do direct people into things and our story our games all touch on uh role-playing games and it's been a big conversation in the role-playing community now safety and consent and making sure it's a safe space and that doesn't mean taking out all the gross stuff you know it doesn't mean like everything is prim and proper all the time it just means thinking about your group and putting things in place and reminding people the kind of group and experience you're trying to create. There's stuff that comes up about like sexual things that are happening or there's like a like sexual demons, incubuses and succubuses and sacrificing to the goat god and uh, different things. And those are in the spirit of the game. Uh, I remember that I did have one experience and I think it was like me and one other person. And that person was very much like working to find the words and working to be shocking just for shocking's sake. And in that experience, again, like me and a stranger Mm -hmm. doing this, like in my space, it really brought forth to me the kinds of things like almost using the game as a weapon you know to like uh, here's a person i'm gonna like say these things and um i definitely did not include certain fragments that in the game that were more likely like i would look at things there are some <laughs> you know you can you can put multiple cards together and people yeah. have done that too you know they're looking like oh how easy is it to yeah. make the dirty words um oh i'm gonna go home and do that now it's like a 10 year old with a dictionary oh. is that in yeah. there yeah <laughs> like did you know they have the word penis in here yeah. Almost like, yeah. uh and then again some the kinds of words I was the most worried about were the ones that we use as weapons mm-hmm. and the ones where it's like, this isn't just a curse. This is something that people really have negative experiences with. And it's something important to consider when you make a game like this. And it's a fragment of the English language. I just find it fascinating, yeah. actually, that, that we can that behind our language, there's this, again, this subsurface level of mm-hmm. like even just sounds that we make that are are potentially damaging yeah 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 and it's also con very context dependent Mm. because if people want to take our games to their personal group and Mm. just do whatever they want with them that's perfectly fine we play our games a lot with strangers at conventions Mm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes they go a little they get a little a little at it at a hand yeah um not for the group but for the space for the space, yeah. Yeah. especially if you're if if you're sitting down with all your friends playing, like again, different context. Yeah. If you sat down with total strangers, there are certain jokes that you should be a little more mindful of mm-hmm. because you know. And I think there have only been two or three times where I've had to stop people and say, "No, you need to do that joke over. <laughs> like you need to change that joke." Yeah. Well, I think that's something. It's a service that we can do. Like just like anyone who runs role-playing games and um, uses lines and veils yeah. or any of the other tools you can do, like you hear about that. You're like, oh, that's a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And you're in this space doing your game and you're like, 
it can be hard too in the moment, you know, to, to take that initiative, but you can say like, hey, you know, that's, is everyone comfortable right now? Yeah. Like, and then they're like, oh, someone asked that, like maybe I should be checking in, kind of spread that yeah. sort of. Because it's both, you're kind of, I, I don't know if you all feel this, but when people sit down to play my game at events, I feel a kind of responsibility for the experience that they have oh, at my gosh, table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so, a host, right? Yeah, of for course. That. So I want, it's like, I'm inviting you into my space. Mm. You should Take off your shoes and be nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So sometimes it's that. And then other times it's just like, well, you're making me uncomfortable now. Yeah. So we occasionally have people who come by and are like, like, oh, it's a game about cults. I'll be as outrageous as possible. Mm. And it's like, OK, sure. You 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 went there. And it's like, I'm I really I'm, want you to stop. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note, the game about cults, the only game here, not about death. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You really picked a picked a demo of people here. Yeah. <laughs> what is one of the biggest sources of conflict in our society today? Can anyone tell me? Whether cookies or brownies. <laughs> it's a good I like where your what, head's at. Whether cookies should have nuts. Uh, circle in the drain. Ooh. We're doing well. Mayo. <laughs> Mayo. Yeah. Close. I love callbacks when we make I was about out. to say. <laughs> uh, the biggest threat is anthropomorphic cats. I'm sure you all saw the cats trailer. Oh. Um, and and it's not let me let me make it clear. It's not the anthropomorphic cats, but it is the it is the feelings that are inspired by them. The the conflict, the hatred, the has anyone seen Cat in the Hat? That movie, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it uh, right now. Anthropomorphic cats, for the most part, inspire a lot of a lot of strong negative feelings. And we have so much going on in the world today. I don't think we need to focus on things. Did you know, 83% of anthropomorphic cats end up uh, being shunned from society. Aww. I know it's an absolute tragedy. Hmm. And I think I think we've actually been to that convention. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am pitching a world where we live in harmony with these anthropomorphic cats, where we, we get along all together. And the way that I, I think we should do that is to hire birds <laughs> to, to attack people and cats that are threats to the peace of our society. If you see some, if you see someone going, I can't believe that cat's trailer. It looks terrible. I'm mm. never going to see it. It's uh, garbage. Imagine a little little bird just coming down and uh, just uh, poking at their head and saying, "No, stop it, stop it, stop it." <laughs> I think that would go a long way in promoting peace and prosperity for humans and cats alike. So mm. I, I just want to get some clarification here. It's not that the cats are our saviors protecting us from the birds. It's that the birds are awful, and now we accept the cats. The birds are punitive, yes. Mm, The birds are the weapon. The birds are the weapons. Mm -hmm. The birds help us to write our behavior and and thoughts. Mm. It's like uh, the old school school teaching technique where Mm. uh, you just kind of whack their hands with a ruler. Imagine Mm. that, but a bird. Just to clarify, the birds are going after humans who are against anthropomorphic cats, not against the anthropomorphic cats themselves. Mm. I mean, that is that is on the table, uh, but uh, in our current uh, 
human anthropomorphic cat climate, humans are the aggressors. Mm. So they will primarily be targeting humans uh, until they learn to adapt their behavior to uh, the the bird weapons. Okay, it's really a cult of acceptance. Truly, and if uh, if a couple eyes get pecked out, so be it. That's the price. <laughs> that's the price we pay. You're beautiful. Thank you. You're beautiful. Thank you. You're beautiful. Thank you. I was worried you might leave me out. <laughs> you are also beautiful. That's nice. I'm glad that wasn't a rule of threes. <laughs> See, in my world, we trust our feelings. Every cloud has a silver lining. There's so, so many beautiful things in the world that we just miss out on every day. Just the, the cats, the birds, the humans, the sky, the books. It's just beauty all around us. We never stop to appreciate it. We're just run, run, run. Get in our minds that there's sadness and ugliness. And we just have to look inside ourselves to embrace the, the inner beauty of our world. We really need to stop being cruel to each other and start being excellent to each other. I want to live in a world where there is acceptance and love and we look on the bright side of things. And that's the kind of world I wanna build in the future. And I want you to join me in building this world together. Emma has found every wholesome card in the deck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't we... I did do we, that. <laughs> why don't we go this way? Um, uh, I'm going to start out here. I have a question. And, mm. and I, I'm i curious, what what is a moral offense in your cult? Mm. Well, uh, you might not know this. I might not know it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're thinking about that, take your time. Uh, I know there's the... It's very stressful with the, the birds and the anthropomorphic cats. I picked an easy word to keep saying over and over again. <laughs> anthropomorphic cats, which means they look like humans, by the way. Like, that's a, yeah. that's a big word. May or may not know that. It's cats. The cats and cats, the trailer. Look it up. Don't. 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 <laughs> don't. don't. So I mentioned trusting your feelings, you know, looking inside you, listening to yourself listening to your heart, caring is sharing. And within our organization, there's doubt sometimes, you know, there's, it's not always easy. We respect this, you know, it's not always easy to look inside. There's, there's darkness, you know, there's mixed feelings in there. There's confusion and complexity within the human psyche. So that's something that we're trying. We don't want to discourage that because that's a feeling that's inside you as well, that confusion, that complexity. But we want you to be able to look past that, trust your feelings, and really just go with it. I mean, whatever it is. So if you're the kind of person who thinks like, 
oh, maybe I shouldn't set that bus on fire, even though that's what I want to do. And that's my instinct to do that. Like, that's a, that's a problem, really. You know, like if you're holding these things in and not trusting those instincts, then you're just not going to live your full, your right life. And so we, we check in with people, you know, they say like, hey, you know, have you had a, uh, instinct recently that you would like to share with us? And they, they might say something like, well, I, there's a uh, mud here and I was going to strip off my clothes and smear it on my body and throw myself against all the windows downtown of the stores and make body prints on it. Like, why? I've seen that in New York City. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, well, what, what are you waiting for and that's something that's we take pause and say they're not really trusting themselves here and so that's that's definitely something we want to discourage and encourage that impulsivity i'm i'm actually impressed and pleased that this wholesome cult has layers underneath and i look forward to finding out more about it a moral offense for the anthropomorphic cats yes i you had mentioned uh, the negative reactions towards the cats. Um, anything potentially about other types of impulses and emotions people might feel towards these anthropomorphic cats? Your stance um, on that. Our stance on it. Um, we uh, we have decided not to talk about the other feelings that um, <laughs> anthropomorphic cats. No, there's of course I am not here to judge or shame, but we. We are simply here to to counter the negative feelings because you might not know this, but 43% of all humans wish they could be an anthropomorphic cat. But the stigma is so pervasive that they they can't uh, they can't follow their dreams. And I'm sure that's something that you would be on board with. You have to trust you have to trust yourself. You have to trust your feelings. If you wanna if you wanna just get a big old litter box for your house for yourself, you should be free to. So I think. I think we we share similar values hmm. that you should you should follow your bliss and uh, not not judge others. Here on the cult following podcast, we do not kink shame. <laughs> also, I'm I'm actually curious if uh, New York's apartment situation has gotten so bad that washrooms are being replaced with litter boxes. It has happened. <laughs> not now. <clears throat> It's actually, it's not, it's actually hasn't been a result of the uh, increasing rent prices, actually a, a process of gentrification. Mm, okay. You know, the more a place gets gentrified, the more litter boxes end up in apartments. And honestly, I think it's a beautiful thing, not the gentrification part. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if it means that we're all becoming a little more accepting of our, of our human feline friends, then uh, God bless. Toilets for the rich, litter boxes for the proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have to give this to. Uh, okay, nope, no, Just I'm gonna have. To, I'm gonna have to give this to the, to the uh, mudslingers. Uh, I think that it's somehow you took something, opened it up, found the dark inside, and it was still somehow more wholesome. So, and you answered the question. I'm gonna go with you for this point. Thank you. My question for. Um, both cults. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you can't account for everything. You know, not everything is under your control. Sometimes you're walking down the street having a great day and, oh, you stepped in poop. It happens. 
Um, but there's there's no reason for us to to add on to that burden. So if if you see a fellow human or cat has stepped in poop, maybe stop and help them out. Offer them a stick to wipe it off with. Mm. <laughs> now, now uh, would it be that it is more likely that you'll step in poop because your cult is unleashing bird mercenaries to attack <laughs> everyone. Mercenaries? Mercenaries, if you will. How dare you? Those birds are professional. <laughs> so we talked about trusting your feelings and the the negative energies that can build up inside of you uh, if you hold these things in and then if you disallow yourself from falling just anything that comes in your head like if you're writing you're like i want to eat this pen just you know we all have those thoughts right just streaming through our head all day long there's so many ways in which we regulate ourselves like i want to jump out this 20-story building i'm not suicidal or anything just like huh what would happen and those things just go into your brain and we just so many of us spend so many, so much time saying no to ourselves, saying no to our inner selves. And you may not know this, but that those negative energies, it's a real physical thing. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, it's a type of, uh, like we were talking about goo or it's like a goo. It's like a uh, miasma of microscopic like particles that interact with each other. And this is inside your body. So this is when I'm talking about negative, like a backup of energy. It's not woo woo. You know, it's, it's real. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an energy that can only be purged by following those, those instincts. Although it hardens in your veins. You can actually die from this little known fact. So um, what I was getting to with that is like bad things happen to good people because they don't properly process their miasmic negative energies. I see. It sounds um, so definitive. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, my, my concern with that take is that it really puts a lot of the onus on me personally to like take responsibility for my own thoughts and feelings and uh, deal with them in a healthy way Mm. Um, where I do think that just the mantra of like just help each other takes a little bit of the onus off of myself to make sure that um, bad things won't happen to me so I think uh, in that regard our uh, anthropomorphic You've got it. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. We don't judge you for mispronouncing words. Thank you. Anthropomorphic cats. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Star sticker. I, I I think that seems like a. I think I'm gonna give you my uh, patronage. Thank you. You'll be very happy that you did. Well, I have a question. I wasn't gonna go with this question until Emma's cult started to develop, and now I think it's a very perp pertinent question. How would you describe your cult's last interaction with the police? <laughs> um, I actually have to, <laughs> I have to check my messages. Ooh, uh, we have something developing 
actually, uh, mm-hmm. as we're speaking now, I was going to say this morning, but in the time that we've been speaking, we've had a couple of things come up. So this, this trusting your feelings, this instinctual thing, the police were put in place because just perceptions that following your instincts is not correct. Like if you are seeing the swans flap in the fountains as happened today and you just become, you have a hankering for swan pie and (laughs) dive into the fountain with a foaming agent that will cause all of the water to turn into bubbles and the swans to suffocate in the bubbles of the fountain so you can eat them. That's your, that's your inner light shining forth. Mm. And the police just don't understand this situation. Yeah, I've never heard of a philosophy both hippie and libertarian at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're unique. <laughs> so is now, the, the, to answer the question, it's happening right as we speak, <laughs> yeah, police encounter. We've, we, I, I will admit, we've had a bit of a contentious relationship with uh, the police. Um, uh, we, in, a, in an ideal world, an ideal world of our cult, the police would be entirely replaced by birds. Now, they're not thrilled with that. And I understand everyone, you know, change is scary. Um, but our one of our more attainable goals is to have at least 10% of the police re- replaced by birds by the end of 2020. I think this is how Zootopia got started. <laughs> uh, Zootopia? I'm not familiar. It is a movie where... <laughs> An entire city. What is, what is this? What? This is... <laughs> What's a movie? <laughs> it's a documentary you should watch later. Mm, I think you're talking about cats. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a dumb joke. <laughs> I want to see the TV show Bird Cops. Bird Cops, Bird oh, Cops. Oh, there's an animated movie coming out where Will Smith and Tom Holland play pigeon police officers. <laughs> and it's very upsetting. We'll make you sing. <laughs> oh, is it back to me? Yeah. <laughs> mm. You're not a cop, are you? Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to tell us. <laughs> uh, I'm going to. I'm gonna. Mm, ooh, I'm gonna go with Emma. Ugh. The All right. bird cops almost did it for me. <laughs> Emma, I do. You know, one last thing to do. You have to decide what happens to this organization and why did they fail and what happened to them. Mm. So, trust (laughs) can be a tricky thing. There's a wildness inside all of us, uh, especially cats, especially anthropomorphic cats, you know. They, they, They heard the teachings of our organization. And, you know, the thing about cats is they just... They, they love murder, you know, and especially of small creatures, especially of small creatures with wings that flap. <laughs> and, you know, it just, just wasn't going to work out. As soon as they looked inside themselves, removed the chains society <laughs> had put upon them, they just went to town on those birds. <laughs> <laughs> Blood and feathers everywhere. It's really, 
It's beautiful in a way, but also... It's, it's your cult's <laughs> next art project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blood feather collage. And a, a monument, really, to yeah. birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so bird police wasn't a perfect system. <laughs> okay, fine. It just shouldn't have gotten so close to the cat's mouths. I don't know what they were doing there. That's it for today. We hope you've had fun listening to our show. For those of you who have subscribed to our podcast and have been eager for more episodes, thanks for your patience. We know these aren't coming out in a regular schedule, but editing podcasts is a lot of work for just a weekend hobby. Some good news, though. We've actually recorded a fourth episode and hope to have it out soon. Maybe just not very soon. If you've liked what you've heard, tell a friend, give us a rating, or leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Today's guest cultists were Eddie Sleepak, Emma Larkins, and Liz Roach. Be sure to check out their games, And Then We Died, and Someone Has Died, at emmalarkins.com and someonehasdiedgame.com. Cult Following was created by Tom Bosla and Trevor Bradley. If you'd like to get in touch with us or learn more about Cult Following, come visit our website at cultfollowinggame.com. Our theme song is Gallows Hill by Josh Woodward. You can check out more of his music at joshwoodward.com. Cult Following is recorded at Vancouver Public Library's Inspiration Lab. Thanks for joining us. And remember, don't believe everything people tell you. Well, both of your cults are about having animals in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know, could you please describe what will happen when your cult merges with a cult on your right? Huh. <laughs> I mean, Armageddon, probably. Yeah, that's what I think of. <laughs>